I've been talking about um, different doctrines of God on Sunday night, and tonight I want to talk about something that's really important. And I'm sorry more people aren't here tonight, because this is in our convention, it's um, people are talking about it and asking questions, it's dealing with the providence of God or the sovereignty of God, or even broaching on predestination. And I'm going to read Romans 8, 28 through 30, and then 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and then we're going to talk tonight about God's involvement in our world and in our lives. And how does his sovereignty, the fact that he can do anything, square with the freedom that he affords us? Romans 8, 28 says, We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 13, showing that God does involve himself in human affairs. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The providence of God or the sovereignty of God and human freedom. <clears throat> Let's bow. Father, as we come tonight to think about this important aspect of your relationship with us, it's obvious that you know everything because there is no yesterday, today, or tomorrow with you. It's with an eternal God, it's all the same. And so you know what's going to happen in the next minute, and you know what's going to happen 10,000 years from now because it's all the same to you. And so help us just to trust you and to know you love us. And when it seems like our world or our lives are unraveling, to know that you have afforded us freedom because you want us to love you freely. And we want to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how would you answer this question? Does God control everything? Or are we free to do what we want? No one will argue against God's sovereignty. He's omnipotent. He can do anything. But how does he choose to exercise that omnipotence, that sovereignty, in our world. Many folks say that God controls everything, but others have trouble squaring that with the facts. If God is in control of everything, then why do we see on the news such stories of horrible things taking place? If God controls everything, then why are women attacked and why are children abused? Why is our society falling apart with violence and drugs and gangs and why do young people no longer respect authority and why is there a breakdown in the moral fiber that holds us together? If God controls everything, why 9-11? Why Iraq? Why Afghanistan? Why, why are innocent girls kidnapped? These are tough questions. If God is in control, why do prayers go unanswered? Why do we pray? Why do good people suffer when evil people prosper? Why are innocent people killed by disease or tornadoes or mudslides? I want us to deal with these questions. 
as we try to understand this world we live in and the God we serve. So I'm going to talk about three things tonight. Why do bad things happen to good people? What difference does God make? And is there hope? The first thing, why do bad things happen to good people? We operate, whether we realize it or not, we operate with a basic set of assumptions. Some of us think that God has already set up a plan and determined everything that's going to happen and then just unfolds those things one at a time according to his plan. I know some, I, I know Muslims believe this way. I was a, a Hebrew professor at seminary who was on an excavation in Israel and there were several Arabs on the dig and one young father got word that morning that his little boy had been run over by a car and killed. Well, the professor expected the father to be out of work for the rest of the week, but he showed up the very next day. Unable to believe that he was already back at work, the, father, the professor asked him, didn't your son get killed yesterday? And the Muslim threw up his hands and said, God's will, and went back to work. Now, before you judge him for being cruel, Think for a moment about what we say when tragedies happen. A little boy is struck by a taxi and, and died immediately. And a relative, not meaning to be cruel, tried to explain and said this. He said it was his time to go. Whether he'd been here or somewhere else, it wouldn't have made any difference. His time was up. Have you heard people say that at the funeral home? I have. If you stop and think about it. That's a pretty mean thing to say. Whether, you're, um, a lot of, whether your number is up, it's up. Off you go. And if that's true, that doesn't make us any more than puppets and God some kind of monster. If God has already decided whom you're going to marry and what you're going to do for your profession and, how you're, and when you're going to die, then you can sit back and fold your arms and twiddle your thumbs and quit worrying and just go through the motion of living out the script that you've been handed. You get hit going home on the highway by a drunk driver, that's okay, it was just your time. You fail a course in college, that's okay, God didn't mean you to graduate anyway. You see how life can become a theater of the absurd if we believe that everything happens because God wants it to happen that way. The truth drawn from scripture and from experience is just the opposite. Most bad things happen in life because of human decisions. Not because God is manipulating things to suit some cosmic purpose that he just hasn't bothered to explain to us yet. God has given us freedom, people, and responsibility to live our own lives. And I believe firmly that the reason he's given us freedom is because he wants us to freely choose to love him. Because if, if we were forced to love him, it would not be love. He wanted to create us in a way that we could choose to love him voluntarily. And if we loved him only because we had to, what kind of love would that be? So we and people like us have freedom and we end up making the decisions behind most of what happens in our world. When a woman is attacked, it doesn't just happen. There's someone else involved in the decision to attack her. If crime goes up in the city, it's not because 
crime is like a garden that just springs up overnight and nobody knew how it happened. The reality is that more people are carrying guns and going to public places and watching violent video games. And instead of getting into fistfights like they used to years ago, now they pull out guns and kill each other as if life were a replaceable commodity. Crime is up because of the bad decisions that people are making. You say, but I'm not a criminal making the decision. I'm the victim. Why is God allowing that to happen to me? Because somebody else is making those decisions. Al-Qaeda works hard at convincing poor, hopeless boys that the source of all their problems is big, bad America. And he and others like him feed their anger and train them how to kill and strap a bomb on their back and, or an airplane control in their hands. And presto, behind most tragedies are decisions made not by God, but by people. Sometimes people want to think there's no human element in their tragedy. But if you look at things most closely, you don't see a great mystery. You don't see God pulling strings. You almost always see somebody making bad decisions. An insurance company out west investigated industrial accidents. Cranes that fall, airplanes that crash, equipment that malfunctions. And you know what they found out? They found out that in almost every case there was at some level human error. A rivet not put in properly. Electrical wires that were crossed. Something overlooked. As a matter of fact, Jesus dealt with that same thing. A tower in Siloam fell one day and, and killed some folks. And the people, as was common in that day, attributed it to God's hand as punishment for the sins of those people. And so they came to Jesus and asked, Lord, why did these people die? Was it their sins or their fathers? And Jesus scoffed at that. And he asked if they really believed that those who, were, who died were really worse sinners than the rest of them. I think that tower fell because it wasn't built properly or because the foundation failed. Accidents happen and people suffer and die all over the world. But most of the time, what happens in our lives happens because of bad decisions that someone has made. And that lesson began with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And it still continues. So that's why bad things happen to good people. It's because of freedom in our world and bad decisions that people make. So secondly, does God make any difference? Does he really make a difference? If he chooses not to control everything, then where does he fit into this scheme of things? Philip Yancey has written some good books on theology and, and applying them in practical ways. One of them is entitled Disappointment with God. And in that book, he tells some stories about folks who became disillusioned or disappointed in their faith. And one story he talks about a man named Richard who lost his faith. It happened on a Sunday evening in church. The pastor asked for prayer for the families of nine missionaries who were killed in a plane crash in Alaska. And then the very next thing in the service, a man who was in the service got called on to come up and give his testimony how he survived an unrelated plane crash that very same week. So Richard is sitting in the congregation and he's trying to weigh this irony that he's hearing. Listening to all the praises and amens for a man's miraculous escape from a plane crash attributed to God's timely intervention, 
while at the same time, nine missionaries who had been killed when God hadn't lifted a finger. Why doesn't God do something? What's he up to? Why and sometimes does a miracle happen and other times it not? Well, understand two things here. First of all, understand that God does not normally intervene in the circumstances of our lives. He does, he can, but not normally. He does not generally manipulate events to suit us or protect us. Sometimes I think about it this way. If, if you jump off a 10-story building, God can catch you in the palm of his hand and set you safely on the concrete sidewalk. He could. And occasionally somebody will jump off a 10-story building and land on a canopy or land in a, a trash can full of styrofoam. God can do that. But he doesn't normally. Jesus put it bluntly in John. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Being a Christian does not exempt you from plane crashes or tornadoes or crazy people. It has never been that way. Jesus prayed for this cup to pass from him, but he died on the cross. Paul prayed for a thorn to be removed, but he was given grace to live with it not deliverance from it. Simon Peter was crucified upside down. Polycarp was burned at the stake. And the trail of Christian martyrs continues on into our day with folks like Bill Wallace and Jim Elliott and the young lady out in Columbine, Cassie Bernal, I mentioned a few weeks ago. Thousands of others around our world today dying for the sake of Christ. So how do we make sense of it? The truth is God does not normally intervene in the circumstances of our lives. Can he? Of course he can. It's his universe. He can do anything he pleases. He is omnipotent. Does he ever? Yes, I believe he does. I have seen miracles. There are miracles of divine intervention, but they are the exception and not the rule. Most of us have never been struck blind on the road to Damascus like Paul was. Most of us can rest assured that when we are buried, we won't pop up a few days later like Lazarus did. No doubt God can do the miraculous. He has and he will. But that's not the way he normally does things. And if your faith is dependent upon the miraculous in order to survive, your faith isn't very deep. So, first of all, God doesn't normally intervene in the affairs of life. Secondly, we need to understand about God's part is that he does want to make a difference in your life and mine. But it's not in our outward circumstances, it's in our inner character. You remember uh, Rick Warren put it like this, God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. So he doesn't make everything perfect around you. He is more interested in building a kind of Christian character within you. When Jesus told Nicodemus he had to be born from above, he was talking about a spiritual rebirth, an inward rebirth, not a physical or outward one. And that's where God does most of his work on the inside, guiding us, shaping our formation toward the end that we would become conformed to the image of the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. And if, if he spent all his time making us comfortable, what character would we ever develop? 
It's the kind of transformation that caused John Newton to give up a slave ship and take up a pulpit and write Amazing Grace. It's the kind of transformation that allowed, uh, how tall was she, Lottie Moon? Four? Four two? A timid little girl in Virginia named Lottie Moon to pour out her life in service in China. It's the kind of transformations that allow some of us to survive the death of a loved one or the frustrations of a difficult life or the onset of our own mortality. It's that kind of transformation that helps us seeing it as well with my soul when our bodies are hurting, when our feelings are stinging from the remarks of someone who should remain silent because God is more interested in your character than in your comfort. And it's this so slow process of evolving something different on the inside that God is at work in our lives. It's what Jeremiah went, he meant long before Jesus when he said that God wants to write his covenant on our hearts. It's what Paul meant when he wrote in Colossians that Christ in you, the hope of glory. Something involving inside that God wants to make happen. So what is God up to? Is there any real hope? Why do bad things happen to good people? And what do we decide bad things happen to good people because the, because the decisions that people make? Does God make any real difference if he doesn't normally cause or determine the circumstances of our lives? And yes, because God's objective has been to build our character as we enter into that relationship with him. So the third thing I want you to see, is there any reason to hope? And yes, there is. For two reasons. Because we have the presence of God and because we have the promise of heaven. The presence of God just means we aren't alone in this. Paul wrote, in all things, God works for good to those who love him. Now that doesn't mean there won't be painful days. You and I both know there will be. But in our pain and darkness and doubt, whether we feel him at any particular moment or not, God is still there. I do not want you to base your belief on God's presence, on your feelings. Why? Because feelings are fickle. Feelings are emotions. And emotions are transient. Base your assurance on the presence of God in your life, on the fact that he promised to be there. And that fact never changes. So I don't, it doesn't matter what you feel. I mean, feelings are nice. But don't base your relationship with God on feelings. Base it on the facts of what God has promised to do, has always done, and always will. In our pain, in our darkness, in our doubt, we may not feel God at any particular moment, but he's still there. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. He doesn't say we won't have to walk through that valley. He just says we won't have to walk there alone. So how can we be sure God's with us? You take it on faith. You take it on the fact of what he promises. I know there are times when our prayers seem to stick in the ceiling and God seems as distant as the furthest planet. But the testimony of scripture 
and the experience of Christians down through the ages assures us that God's presence is here. Chuck Swindoll tells the story of a young mother who died a tragic death, leaving her husband and little daughter alone to cope with the loss. And that night as a father tucked the little girl under the covers and went to his own bedroom, a thunderstorm came up and the little girl was frightened and came into her father's room and climbed into bed with him and said, Daddy, can I sleep here tonight? And he said, of course you can, sweetie. He said, Daddy, it's so dark, I can't see you. And he said, honey, I'm right here. And even though you can't see me, I'll be right here beside you all through the night. You know, sometimes we can't see God. We can't sense his presence or know by our feelings that he's with us. But we have the promise of our heavenly father given through his son, made possible through the Holy Spirit that he's with us. He always will be even until the end. So we have the promise of his presence and we have the promise of heaven. Someday we'll get to see the big picture and we'll get to look back and we'll see why things happened and everything will fit and everything will make sense. And it won't always be easy, but we'll know that God was using it for good. We'll see face to face and we'll understand and the wrongs will be made right and our whys will be answered. I can't wait for that day, but that doesn't mean we need to be in a hurry to get there. As I tell people, I'm ready, but I'm not in a hurry because he's put us here for a reason. Vance Havner used to explain why it is that we don't know any more about heaven than we do. It's probably a good thing that we don't. He said, and I love this, he said, imagine a child sitting down to supper and eating spinach as his vegetable. Why don't you think that child's mom tells him that there's a cooked banana pudding in the oven for dessert? Why does she tell him that? Because she knows if she does, he won't eat a spinach. Why should he if there's banana pudding waiting? I wouldn't. And that's a pretty simple way of explaining it. And it points to a truth. In this life, we have to eat our spinach and Brussels sprouts and drink our milk. We have to take our lumps and face our challenges and weather the storm. But someday it's going to be different because the God who in the beginning created man and looked at him and called him good, will in the end bring his creation home. And it'll be good. And we'll look back and think, I'm glad I did that. I wished I hadn't done that. I wished I had done more. From my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow. God, I guess it would have been easier to live if you had just given us roles to play and a script to live and ordered us what to do and what not to do.
and given us no options. But then if you commanded that we love you, would that really be love if it were coerced? Or would we just be robots who only did what we had to do? But in your wisdom, you created us with freedom and gave us the option of loving you. So when we do love you, it is genuine and sincere because it's been chosen by us voluntarily. And so in this world of freedom, there are good things that happen and there are bad things that happen. And we give you the praise and thanks for the good, but we don't blame you for all the bad because most of the time, those bad things were caused by human choice and bad decisions. So thank you for being here with us in the midst of this mess that we've created. It's still a good world, but it's not what you created it to be because of our fallen nature and because of our sin. And so you sent Jesus to come and live in this mess with us, to give us hope, to offer us forgiveness, to restore that relationship with you for which we were created. And then when he left, he, he gave us the Holy Spirit so that your presence could be with us always and the promise of a perfect heaven still be ever before us. And so help us live in these days that you've placed us here on earth to do as much as we can for you, to tell as many people to love with reckless abandon. Because when we get to heaven and look back, we'll be so glad we did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.